Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. The 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another Western Rookie Podcast episode. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and today I have Mr. Big Merch Guy himself, Chris Neville, on the call, and we're going to be talking all things Western hunting. How have you been doing today, Chris? I've been doing good, just just slinging some merch. I'm go- uh, thanks for the plug right off the top. I like that. Yeah, well, you got it when you got the Big Elk Guy t-shirt that it looks like you just dropped. And, so, yeah, and you just- were wearing the black one right now, I see. That's which, right. It is a giant. I mean, yeah, got got to have a big elk on the big elk shirt, right? Yeah. So do you, is that the, is that a new series or is the big elk the final addition to the, the series of shirts? Like, do you have a big mule deer guy or a no, big no. antelope yeah, guy? So the big elk guy was kind of the first, first place that I started doing this merch with. And this just started like a couple of weeks ago. I got an idea like, Hey, maybe I could sell some merch. Yeah, and it's almost elk hunting season, so I'm like, oh, I'll just hit up this guy that I follow on Instagram who makes cool designs and tell him like, hey, I want a big elk guy design. If you can draw me up something, oh, what's draw me up something? Put it on, put it on a shirt, and just threw it out and see how people responded. And so far, people have really liked it. So I think now my next steps are I'm going to go down the line of different animals as the seasons come, like whitetail, mule deer, and just go down the line of all the different animals that we can hunt and. Oh Shoot yeah, them out there. What's your guy's name? Because so this is a podcast I was offered to take over, and I love it. But I started my own podcast called the Two Bucks Podcast, which is one hundred percent outdoor entrepreneurship and talking with people like like it would be great to have you on and talk about like how you're starting a merch business or the guy um, that does artwork because I think a lot of people incorporate merch at some point in their entrepreneurship journey, and so right. like having that connection to someone that can do art would be a really cool. Yeah, um, his name is. Let me see. It's L Ray Artist. Is I'm pretty sure it is his Instagram. That's perfect. I and, can follow yeah. him on Instagram then and reach yeah, out. Yeah, L Ray Artist, and he does. He's kind of got like a unique style. Yeah. It's kind of like an old school Western kind of style that he usually draws for people. And yeah, he does commission pieces. So if you hit him up and ask him, just kind of tell him what you want, and he'll draw it up for you. Ray Luinani. As close as I can get it. Is that the one? Uh, let me... No, that's no, just Ray you... Artist. Wrong Ray. <laughs> yeah, L Ray Artist. E L and then Ray Artist. Gotcha. I also did not catch up on the Mexican pronunciation of L. Yeah. 
Oh, there yes. we go. Big old goatee. Now I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Wait a second. What's his real name? It doesn't say. He looks just like a guy that just sent me a book. Uh, Turning Feral by Zach Hansen. Maybe it's him. Maybe this Maybe is his cover-up. That's his... He draws on... <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, he dropped maybe he did all of his own artwork for his book. Um Right. Yeah, no, I've had some ideas for shirts I'd love to do with the Western rookie kind of I don't want to say them because they're really easy to do. <laughs> right. I want to release them first and then we can talk about them. But no, that's cool. Well, I think you should come out with a big mule deer guy shirt because I have a little bit of a bone to pick with you when it comes to mule deer hunting. You like mule deer over elk, don't you? No, I don't. I definitely like elk more. <laughs> no, outside of that door, there's actually a 350-inch bull. Um, I wish I could fit him in my office because it would be a cool backdrop like you got. <laughs> right. My ceilings aren't tall enough. That's the part when you mount an elk. Like, you can't really mount elk in an 8-foot ceiling because you put their chest, yeah. like, 18 inches off the ground. Yeah, they're too damn big. Yeah. Yeah, they're huge. But no, my story. So, I've been hunting the West every year for elk for seven, I think this will be our eighth year. And then I always try to sprinkle in another mule deer or an antelope or maybe a Western whitetail. And I finally convinced some buddies from the flatland, um, to go out on a mule deer hunt with me. And I'm like, you guys would love it. You, you're just ate up with this. You're going to love how much game there is and uh, you being vast. And so we decide to do a mule deer hunt in Montana because I could draw the the combo and get both that season so i could do my elk hunt in montana then i could just easily add for like basically 150 bucks i could get a mule deer take too right so, so the cheapest way to do a second hunt and so we're going and it's the same year that you and michael parente filmed your southeast montana mule deer oh, hunt. Yeah. and so that was the video that like i was watching i was getting excited i knew it would be hard but my buddy that i brought was completely new to western hunting and so he watched it and he's like Oh man, like I really want to shoot a 170 and, and like, like Southeast Montana, yeah. there's all kinds of deer that's known for a lot of deer. And he's like, I know we're going to have to walk and work hard, but man, it'd be really cool to shoot like, like one, like Chris did. And I'm like, Oh, I don't think we're going to see any like that. <laughs> yeah. Did you go, did you guys go the year after too? Um, well, it, so to be honest, it probably was the year after because, it, you know, because of the like production editing and release schedules. You guys right. probably did that hunt. We hunted it in 2021. Was your hunt in 2020? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so we would have been hunting the year after, like third year of a record drought in a row. Yeah, I was going to say, because after that, because I went out to Montana a couple more times after that hunt, and yeah. It was not the same. It was it was pretty tough hunting, like you're saying, with the drought out there. That the deer numbers really, really dropped, especially like mature bucks. Like I w- I wasn't seeing hardly any no. older age class bucks. Just a lot of a lot of little ones running around. Yeah, we struggled hard. Plus, we got hit with the double whammy of not only was it a drought, um, and then the constant pressure like obviously like southeast montana always has a ton of pressure so we knew that going in but then we got hit with like the first day was like 75 degrees on a november rifle hunt yeah it was brutal but eventually it started cooling off and then on the last day we actually doubled and tagged out he shot his right in the way in the morning we went packed it out it was a really easy pack um we grabbed lunch in town went back out and we're like okay we got like five hours i'm like 
all right, at this point, like, let's just get miles on the pickup. Like, we we haven't found any spots where it's like, this is a spot. We knew an area. Right. And so I'm like, I think we can drive this, like, road that's, like, off the main road, like a cattle ranch road, and then we'll just stop ahead of every, like, good glassing knob, and we'll just glass everything and just, like, move, glass, move, glass. First one we got to, there is the biggest buck we've seen, which is still, like, 120-inch 4 by 4 Hey, you'll take it. Especially in the last day. Oh, for sure. And after, like, we, he he kicked himself because he passed up, like, 130-inch 4 by 4 on the first day thinking we could do better. I mean, literally it was 20 minutes out the door. So he thought, like, oh, man, super easy. We'll probably see a lot of bucks. And he kicked himself for the rest of the week. Um, but, yeah, so I tried, to, I tried to stock that deer. But, like you said, it was such a high drought. The cattle had mowed everything lower than, like, a golf course lawn. So there was no hide, and he was bedded up high on basically an open valley. And so I'm mm-hmm. crawling, and I could see with my scope. I just put, like, a 25-power scope on my on that rifle because I wanted to build, like, a long-range <laughs> chassis rifle. And so I had it dialed in, and I was watching his eyes, and he was asleep. And so I'm like, as long as his eyes are closed, I'm going to keep crawling across this, like, bare desert. And soon enough, he opened his eyes, and he was looking right at me, and it was 496 yards. And I'm like, well... Here we are in life. I built this rifle yeah. for this shot. I practiced all year That's long. That's right. And eventually I, 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 you know, drilled him in the heart. And um, I did have to walk my bullet in one time because I shot. I'm like, well, that didn't make sense. But I measured it with my scope. And I'm like, okay, well, there must be a different crosswind on that slope than I'm expecting. Mm-hmm. And then I drilled him. And my buddy got there it all on film, which was, I didn't even know he was filming through the spotter. <laughs> Turns out that was the same buck he jumped the day before. It had a broken leg real busted oh, up rear leg so it was like perfect to like kind of cap the hunt and like take out right. an animal that based on the drought and a broken leg like would have had a really rough winter oh yeah probably wouldn't have made it f- through for sure yeah you never know like they're so t- such tough animals but yeah you never know and it's obviously like he's not thriving anymore no so not not especially that time of year either everyone's pushing them around yeah that would not be fun yeah yeah that's there's a lot of pressure. We were seeing, like, if there's 150 yards of public that crossed a road, there'd be four trucks parked on it. Yeah. And so it's not, it's yeah. like I love seeing people hunting, but I also like to hunt spots without dancing around trucks as well. So it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah, that's the name of the game in eastern Montana during that time of the year. Yeah, I decided I probably won't go back until they start getting a little bit more rain. <laughs> right. So... Um, but it was a fun hunt for sure. And, and so I love mule deer. I do, but yeah, your, your hunt the year before gave us a false impression of what hunting public (laughs) land would be like in Southeast Montana. Plus you have an arsenal of knowledge on that, the crew you were with at, I mean, not only yourself, but Michael, and obviously he has a lot of experience to tap into if he needs to. Yeah. So, um, that certainly helped and we were brand new to the unit. So we were be bopping around all over the place trying to find a spot. I think I gave myself false expectations too, because I think I went at, I went back there the next two years and nothing. Didn't have I a. I, shot, I think I shot one more mule deer in that area, but it wasn't probably the same as you, like 120, maybe. Yeah, probably would have been a nice, four point. decent four by four, but then with no food, it just right. tapped out on what they grew. Yeah, not yeah. Uh, not a what was it, 190. Just laid up, letting you stock yeah. them, do a two-mile stock. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just laid out in the wide open. Yeah, that was a sweet, 
that was a sweet uh, episode that was able to like come together between you filming it and Michael sitting behind the spotter. Yeah. Like he's get, like I don't know what's going on. He he's there. The right. beer's there, and then you're like, yeah, there's a huge log in front of him. <laughs> yeah. So no, Michael's great. I love hunting with Michael. He cracks me up. Oh God, he, the, he's hilarious. I've never met him, but he do, looks like an absolute hoot to hunt with. Like, yeah. Oh, dude, it's half, nonstop laughing. I was gonna say half cameraman, half comedic relief. Yes, that's exactly him. That is him to a T. Yeah. I was. I don't know. If I, I think I was watching. I don't know if it was aired or if it was just a short he posted, but they were filming something and running, and all of a sudden he just trips and goes down yeah. hard. Absolutely just trips right over a rock, um, rock right as we're going in. Was that, oh, was that the spot. same hunt? Yeah, that was the same day that I saw that big buck. We're going into this high point to do some glassing, and he absolutely biffs it. Oh, because I remember it was, he was, it, was, it was right after he biffed it. We got up there, and then that's when I spotted that buck. Oh my gosh, I remember he was wearing those big Soro like knee high yeah. hiking boots. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good hunt. Um, so do you? The way you said, do you like mule deer more than elk? Now I got it. Now I'm curious. Do you like mule deer more than elk, or are you still no. a big elk guy? Big elk guy for sure. Big elk guy. I figured since yeah. that was the first shirt that came out. No, I, I mean I'll I hunt I hunt basically everything from antelope elk mule deer like i i definitely have a full season every single year but the one that i probably like look look for and like most excited about is definitely elk hunting yeah and you're doing i mean we just talked in the green room that you moved to colorado and so i assume you're doing to taking advantage of colorado elk this year are you doing any other elk hunts nope i'm just gonna focus on colorado over the counter I think my goals, I'm trying to get, I was just looking at the calendar, I think yesterday, just all the hunts that I want to do. I think I got about, I want to do about 20 days in Colorado because it's going to be over the counter. So I know it's going to be kind of tough. Okay. But yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get out there about 20 to 20 days this September to see, see what I can do. And then trails actually going to come out here too, from like the 15th to the 25th is like when I'm going to take off the big long stretch to, to hunt it hard. But Gonna probably do like Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the for most of the month. Well, that'll get you a good like baseline going into that week with trail of like, hey, I've been checking out all these spots. I've been seeing elk and here and bugles in this drainage, and give you a good a good starting spot to like really. Oh yeah, hard for sure. Once you got two people, yeah, and, yeah. And the over the counter, what I've you know learned the most from is just a lot of it's just time. The more time you put into it, the more time you're out there like you're, you're able to find kind of the bigger bulls and where they're at, where they're hanging out. Just, you can get more educated on the whole, the whole different area. So yeah, I think time, time is the number one killer. So the more time you can put out there, the better your chances are. And right. That's kind of, kind of my goal this year for over the counter. Which really goes to sh- like show how valuable getting a scouting trip out ahead of time is. If you're like a non-resident or going to the same spot year after year, so you can really start learning a mountain range or being a local Cause I remember, I don't know if you've ever remembered, like Ryan Carter from Utah used to do like Super Bowl Sunday, where on the same day as the football game, he was having like everyone shooting like pictures of giant elk. This episode is brought to you by Steelhead Outdoors. From the moment I first saw a Steelhead Outdoor safe, I knew I was going to order one. The ability to customize the color, the configuration, and most importantly, the ability to move and assemble my safe panel by panel 
makes Steelhead Outdoors the clear winner when it comes to gun safes. And if you haven't ordered a Steelhead Outdoor gun safe yet, you can still benefit from their innovation and creativity because the guys over at Steelhead have designed some awesome accessories. Their case keeper allows you to hang all of your hunting caps and gun cases off the side of your safe, and it keeps your hunting room looking clean and organized. Or my favorite is the bow keeper that lets me hang my bow off the side of my safe so me and my wife can walk into our safe room, hang up our bows after shooting in the backyard, and not have to worry about the hassle of putting our bows back in the case every time. Both the bow keeper and case keeper are magnetic and work with any safe, which means you can use them now with your current safe, and when the time comes to order your Steelhead Outdoors gun safe, you'll already have all the accessories you need. Head over to SteelheadOutdoors.com to order your bow keeper and case keeper today. And he'd post them. And the number of, like, over-the-counter Colorado unit, like, monsters, like, like, gross boon for sure or even 400 inches and over-the-counter units in colorado like was like okay well they're definitely there now it's just you got to find them and work hard to get them but like there is some monsters in some over-the-counter units for sure yeah there's yeah i see i see pictures all the time every single year from over-the-counter units i mean a three having a goal for like a 300 incher like for an over-the-counter unit is to me like that's it's pretty high a high standard but at the same time i think it's you know, if you if you really put yourself out there and give it your all, I think it's something that you can achieve. So it's it's kind of one of those. I don't think it's that crazy to try to shoot like a three hundred inch bull on over the counter unit because I think there's plenty of them. Yeah. But there's there's a lot of other aspects that can can definitely make it tough on over the counter with just people and pressure and where the elk are going to be. So what probably provides in a weird twisted way, like the perfect situation to grow a mega, like a monster because you like a lot of people go to over the counter Colorado ex- expecting to shoot the first legal bull they see. And so right. if you, if that bull makes it through those first two, three years, like all of a sudden he starts getting a little smarter, he starts getting a little bit more secluded and everyone else is maybe taken out before they get to that, that bull or find that little honey hole Versus like if you're just on them and you're good and you're local and you spend that time, I bet you could uncover some some diamonds in the rough for sure where these bulls just go and get old. Because like I feel like it's kind of like the Utah strategy where it's like over-the-counter spike hunts are the same units where like their biggest trophy bulls are and their hardest to draw hunts. So they're still getting a lot of pressure and they're still shooting a lot of young bulls, but it's still growing huge elk because once they get through that phase, they get smart and they get old. Yeah. And I'm always like, I look at maps a lot in different areas in Colorado and I'm always just shocked by like the amount of area and country. Oh yeah. That there is in Colorado that you can hunt like over the counter is it's, it's limitless. Like it would take you forever to find every spot and look it all over. Like, yeah, so you know, there's, there's definitely some good diamond in the rough if you, if you can find them. Oh yeah, for sure. So and how does it work when you work for a company like Go Hunt? How does how does like PTO work when you're doing an elk hunt, especially with trail? Does it are those counted as like offsite team building days, or is it true? basically? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, too, is like a lot of it's we're getting content assets of some sort, whether right. it be like photos or short social media clips. 
you know, sometimes they're filmed, sometimes they're not, but yeah, a lot of it's content generation on these hunts for the most part. But I think this one is, this one might be the first time that Trill and I go on together that it's just us having a good time. Like no cameraman, just, just us two as friends out hunting for, for elk and not having to worry about a bunch of other stuff, which I'm actually looking forward to. Yeah. I feel like that's gotta be in a way, just a nice, like stress reliever of not know or knowing there's not a camera following you or that third person or, or for me, what usually happens is like just this added pressure of like, Oh, I should capture this. Oh, I should have captured that. Oh, I should stop and get my camera out. Or, and then it, it's, it, in a way it does kind of take away from the experience when, when I go on those trips and I just write it off, like I'm not worrying about, you know, trying to become the next YouTube star and getting everything on camera. It's like, that's when you can really plug into the wild and, and be away and enjoy the whole time. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a lot more that, you know, that, I mean, it's hard to see from the outside when you just watch like a finished YouTube video, but yeah, there's a lot of preparation and a lot of other extra things that you have to be aware of and be thinking about when, when out there, which, you know, it's not too bad and it hasn't really ever bothered me too much, but it, it'll be nice to not having that like extra thing that I have to worry about. And I can just worry about myself, my gear, like solely focused on the hunt, which hopefully the outcome will be two big dead bulls. Yeah, hopefully. I don't know how far in you guys are planning to go. Are you doing like day hunts or are you thinking of setting up like, uh elk camp or are you going all the way backpack spike camp style yeah we'll probably backpack spike spike camp style i mean that's trail and i just prefer that style i've you know not to say that you can't kill stuff next to the road like i know people who are really good road hunters and it's like i don't know i think it's kind of a different skill set like i know road hunters that kill every single year and they just have a nice camp next to the road but for me and like my skill set and like what i'm good at it's getting away from people. And that's where I've had the most luck is hiking in, getting away from people, finding elk, actually being elk, bugling, responsive to calls. Yeah. And then, yeah, the style with you is we're, we have our camp on our back every day. So we'll, we'll be hiking around, find a spot. Like we've been chasing elk all day, put our tent up, wake up in the morning, pack our tent, put everything in our pack and just keep following the elk until we get one down. And so we're the other crew. We are typically coming from Minnesota. That's where I live. That's where a majority of our group lives. And we typically go out and we set up more of your bigger base camp off the side of a road or at, you know, somewhere. A lot of times we'll rent forest service cabins because they used to be really cheap. I think the prices are starting to go up a little yeah. bit, but, um, and we'll do a base camp. And then we usually go in, um, we're usually in that one to three, four mile range off the road, but then we hike out every night. But this year being as far South in Colorado as we are. Um, and with just the way it works out, I think we're going to actually start doing more of the, I would say it's probably spike camp. We go to a spot, set up a camp back in farther and then hunt around that area. Mm-hmm. Um, but that leads me to like, it's all new to me. So I just got a bunch of gear for it. And I was wondering like, how heavy is your pack then when you're doing the day camp? or true backpack style hunt with camp on your back every day. I try, I have like a limit of 50. I try to keep it to a limit 50 of 50. Pounds. That seems doable one, though, right? Yeah. 50 is very manageable. I mean, you definitely have to take a look at every piece. I mean, I'm not necessarily like counting ounces. Like some people are really crazy, but yeah, you have to be cognizant of 
every piece of gear that's going in your pack and how much it's going to weigh and like where you can cut weight when it's needed. But yeah, right around that 50 mark is my sweet spot. I think you start getting over 50. It starts, it starts weighing on you quite a bit. And to do that for, you know, four or five, six, seven days in a row, it can be tough, but if you're eating a bunch of food, you're always getting lighter. Every day. <laughs> that's all. That's always my mindset. It's like, this is the heaviest my pack will be the whole week. Well, to be fair, if you don't eat a lot of food, you're also getting lighter. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you're just losing weight. Um, but yeah, the the pack thing, and then finding good water is obviously key because you don't want to be carrying six days of water. I mean, well, that's impossible. You no know, one can carry six days of water. That'd yeah. be your fifty pounds right off the bat. But when yeah, I think about it, it's like it's. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no. Um, you know, when I start to look at my pack, like most of what I pack really isn't that heavy for like what it takes to hunt and kill an elk like i have mm-hmm. my optics like my, my binoculars and my bow are by far the heaviest two pieces of equipment i have a kill kit but you know i'm using like randy newberg's knife that's pretty light a set of game bags is pretty light we usually split game bags you know like i'll take half you take half and that way you know we're probably not shooting two at one time and if right. we do we'll figure it out but um you know a little bit of kill kit stuff an emergency kit that's only a couple pounds and so the rest of it really is like your your camp your food and your water that's where like it seems like most of the weight yeah. adds up now every year i say that and every year i put my pack on i'm like man this is heavier than i thought it was gonna yeah. be <laughs> yeah your food your food is definitely going to be one of the heaviest things you you take for sure so there's there's one i mean that's something i do look at, do look at pretty closely like making sure it's like my calories 100 100 calories per ounce like i don't want anything that's like Mm. super heavy that i'm not getting the benefits that i need from it yeah so food i like to keep my food around like a pound and a half per day per day are you doing like preserved food then yeah so i'll do i'll do freeze dried at night and then so mostly i'll have like a bar in the morning and then for lunch i'll have i usually bring like dried salami and then single packed like little cheese like oh like you can buy them at the grocery store they're just like tiny little squares like i'll bring like a couple of those and like a slice of pita bread Mm. like just a little circle pita and then i'll just make like a salami sandwich kind of thing yeah then chips some other maybe like one or two more bars some like energy replacement kind of thing like either some like chews or some energy chews yeah and then, like, I really like uh, honey stingers and then Justin's peanut butter. Okay. So, like, Justin's peanut butter, super lightweight, and it's just packed full of calories. Interesting. It's like, 250 calories per ounce kind of thing. Yeah, because so I've been looking at the food pretty hard and trying to figure out. So, I don't do it enough to justify the home freeze-dried kit. And I know that's yeah. becoming a really popular thing for some people. But you really got to, like, live outside to justify spending three grand on a – <laughs> freezer and, and it's and it's a lot of time just prep time yeah meal prep time yeah a lot of a lot of time yeah but i mean the thing i always tell people about their food system too is make sure like everyone knows what they like right so yeah that's how you should build it around like me like i'm a chocolate peanut butter salami cheese and chips like that's stuff that i eat every day regularly yeah yeah like when i'm at home like those are like some of my favorite types of foods so kind of making your food system around your favorite types of foods is always a good idea. Cause I've, I know people and I've done it like in the beginning where it's just like, 
this is super light and it's super good. Like, I don't really care. And I'll be out there. And after like the first couple of days, I'm like, I'm, I can't eat this thing anymore. Well, and that's one of the things I've always said, because it seems like every shed hunter content creator, their like food system revolves around tuna packets. Yeah. And I've like, done the tuna packets before too. And I can't stand tuna. It's like, I don't care how much more views you get apparently from eating tuna packets. Cause they all do it. And it's like, I'm, I'm not doing the tuna packets thing. I hate tuna so bad. I don't mind. I don't mind that some of the tuna slices cause they have, they have a ton of different flavors. Yeah. But the, the weight in the calories really isn't that good. Like a tuna packets, maybe 110 calories. Right. And I think, and the packet itself is pretty heavy. Yeah. So like it's from like, if you look at like the ounces to calorie ratio, like it's, it's not that great for what you're getting, like how much you actually have to carry. And so that's, that's why I, I ditched it. And like you're saying after a while, tuna can get kind of old unless you have a tortilla or something. Yeah. Yeah. That would help a lot. I've been looking at like, for me more, it's, I mean, I don't know why, but I'm looking at like calories per dollar too. Cause like some of those meat, like it's, some of those freeze dried companies now are like close to 20 bucks a meal. And you're like, yeah, dang 20 bucks. It's like 450 calories. I'm like, I'm going to th- find something else. So I was looking at peak refuel. They've got some like high calorie stuff that seems to be pretty, pretty good on the sodium too, for being that yeah. many calories. And so I was thinking, just like you said, like one, I was probably planning like one freeze dried entree for dinner I don't know what I'll do for breakfast. I might try to do some like instant oatmeal because that's pretty light. I just don't know how many calories are in that. I I got it. I got a good breakfast for you. The bars? No, I do use bars, but I just started doing this last year and I love it. So it's you get like a small tortilla and you get pre-made bacon. Oh, okay. So like, and you do like some cheese and like hot sauce. It's like a little breakfast burrito. Yeah. It's it's pretty and like the pre-made bacon you can buy at the store and it's like it never goes bad. Okay. And yeah. everyone, everyone's, everyone's always asked me too about the cheese. So I'll buy like the Talmahook, like little squares that are like yeah. packaged. Yeah. If there's no oxygen, it can't go bad. Yeah. No. And I've been in like 90 degree weather. It's like, yeah, it gets a little sweaty, but I've never had, same with the salami. I've never had any issues. Yeah. Like, that's with I mean, going bad. That's how people got to the 21st century. It was jerky, right. dried goods. And like, have you ever seen a block of cheese? Like they're just sitting out on the counter in Italy, like, and then they cut them and now you right. eat it. Um, yeah, which but yeah, the the bacon, cheese, and tortilla for like a quick little breakfast, super lightweight, tastes great. Well, nice that's one. one thing I'm interested in because I've been switching over to more of a like a carnivore diet. Really, I mean, I'm trying to cut out as many calories as possible and trying to use fat as my energy source a little bit more. Just something I'm trying. I'm by no means a health expert, and I haven't reached my goals yet, yeah. so I wouldn't start it based on what I'm doing. Yeah, but yeah. it's like it seems like fat sources are really dense for like when we start talking calories versus ounces. So I was thinking of like almonds cause I think an ounce of almonds is like 160 calories and it's a majority yeah. of fats. I mean, obviously you need a little carbs and a little protein, but I'll get plenty of those with my, my, um, freeze dried meals, whatever, yeah. whatever I yeah. go with. So. Yeah. And the other thing I too, I think about is like one reason why I don't do like I'm a coffee drinker. Like I drink coffee every single day. So like on the mountain, I won't drink any coffee. Won't have it just because I don't like a like oatmeal and stuff. A lot of the times, like I'm in these spots, I have like a liter of water left. Oh, like, so you don't because you want to limit like your water dependent. Right. The less things that I don't need that like needs hot water, 
Like, yeah. The better. That's why I, I just do one freeze dry at night, and that's. And the, what's good about the peaks? I'm also a big peak refill fan. Is they use less take, water. Yeah, they use a lot less water. Yeah, yeah, it all adds up. I mean, I haven't added all my stuff together. My tent is a little heavier than I wanted it to be, but I went with a two man because my wife loves backpacking, and I'm just thinking like. All right, if I'm going to get a tent, should I just go for a two-man, and then that way it works for what I need, and then it works if we want to do something together too. And maybe I'll partner up with one of the guys in our group and say, hey, I'll carry the tent, you carry the stove, and then we'll right. just sleep. I mean, I don't know how big it is. I'm, I'm new to all this stuff. I found some good deals on backcountry, or, and um, I was and right. honestly, you guys are so busy. A lot of the stuff on Go Hunt's already sold out. Like I got into this game a little yeah. too late, a little too close to season to be buying gear still, so – yeah, yeah, this time of year stuff flies. But yeah, sleep system is definitely going to be a spot like if you need somewhere to cut weight. But the the one thing about sleep system is you kind of pay what you get for so it can get pricey real quick. Like if you want a really nice lightweight sleeping bag, like it's going to cost you 600 bucks kind of thing. And like, that's just that's it. That's, that's the key. That, yeah, that's the tricky part about that yeah. that area. Same with it, like a nice lightweight tent know 300 400 bucks usually so right and so we just bought this farm here in minnesota and every when you buy a farm it seems like everything you need just doubles or triples in price like when we rented the little houses all i needed was a little tiny hand pump sprayer to like spray weeds around the garden now it's like yeah i gotta spray acres and so now i need a big sprayer (laughs) everything's starting to add up so it's fine but i was just kind of being a little bit conscious on like because you could it seems like you could easily go to like two grand for a complete backcountry system but if you especially if you didn't have like a pack or a stove i mean it's like every one of those things like your pack good pack can be 500 bucks i have mystery ranch and then you got like a 500 hundred dollar tent and a 500 hundred dollar sleeping bag and 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 pad combo and then you got 100 yeah. 150 bucks into your stove and you know all of a sudden it's like oof. <laughs> yeah starts starts adding up the one thing i do tell people about like some of those bigger purchases is I always tell them like, you got to look at it over like a lifetime. Cause like a pack, like a mission range pack is going to last you a lifetime. Like a, oh, a yeah. $600 sleeping bag will last you like 20 years. Yeah. You know, a, a nice tent is going to last you a lifetime. Like those are all things that you can have forever. And I, I just say like, you know, people that are just starting out, I say, you know, pick something that's, you know, and just do it one year at a time. Like this year I'm going to buy a nice tent and then next year I'm going to buy a nice pack and just kind of, yeah break it down over the next couple of years. So you and a lot of times a little bit easier. Like I would, and this is probably really close to more like what go hunts doing with like helping people understand hunts and opportunities. But when people ask me like, Hey, I want to hunt the West. What should I start with? It's like, I'm never telling people you should start on a backpack elk hunt. You know, yeah. like if you've never hunted the West before, I'm usually like, you should look at archer uh, rifle antelope. Like that's yeah, a great 100%. first hunt. I mean, you can get a hotel room. You, it's not like you, you basically just need a rifle. And like, if you don't even have a pack, you probably don't need a pack. Like binos, glass, and a rifle. If you shoot one, just put it over. Like, put the quarters on your shoulder and hike back to the truck. And put them in a cooler. Very yeah. like low barrier to entry. And then like, if you like that, like then try a mule deer, and then maybe do an elk, and then like start with a base camp day, like base camp day hunt elk trip versus like a backcountry elk hunt trip. Cause I'll hear people like at work or something, they'll say, Hey, I'm, I'm doing my first elk hunt this year. And I, I was going to ask you like, what sleeping bag to use, you know? And it's like, well, you know, what are you doing? And they're like, Oh, I'm going to do a 14 day solo backcountry hunt. And I'm like, Oh no, you're not. 
<laughs> you're going to do a three day backcountry hunt and then you're going to do an 11 day hotel hunt or you're going to yeah. come home. And I don't tell him that because you, you don't want to, you know, rain on their parade, but it's, it's like, that's a really hard way to start hunting the West. And it's a very expensive way to start hunting the West because you need everything at once. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I'm the same as you. Like if anyone asks, I always say do an antelope hunt. Like that is, it's, it's a, it's a really fun hunt. It's like one of my favorite hunts is like a rifle antelope hunt. Cause it's just super easy going. Oh, like success rates really high like you always have a good time like you see a lot of animals and i then, would yeah kind of work your way down the line as you're going to do it and then if you are going to if you are going to jump into a backcountry hunt like you have your mindset at least go with somebody else and yeah have, have have like a hunting partner so you can kind of like push each other to do it and then just know have realistic expectations of of like what you're going to get into because i think sometimes people have like these expectations that don't match, you know, if you're going on over the counter backcountry elk hunt for the first time, you've never done an elk hunt before. Yeah. Like your success is going to be super low. Like it's going to be a really hard hunt. It's going to start. It may with, not be fun. Your success you know? is going to start with the decimal point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. Like hunting alone is hard, especially for people from the Midwest, because like when we go hunting, it's usually deer camp. There's people, you go back for lunch, you see people, you go home at night, you see your family. If you're from the mountains, I think people are more acclimated to it because it's pretty typical to like go up in the mountains for a weekend by yourself and hunt. But I did like a solo Colorado hunt. And that's what I was meant when we were in the green room talking about Colorado points. But I did it by myself because I was the only one that had points to draw the tag. And I was in that no man's land of like five points. So it's like I'm looking at like 10 to 12 to get anything better as a non-resident. And by then it'll right. be point creep. So it's like I better cash in now. And it was like a the hardest part of the hunt by far was mental. Just being alone that yeah. long in a new place. It's like I was going to Subway for a sandwich just to like see somebody. Yeah. You know? And talk, I think it's talk okay. to the cashier. Yeah. yeah. I think that's normal to be like, you know. Hey, I'm going to take an off day. Like I need to bounce back. I'm a soul. Like it's your hunt. You can do whatever you want. Like I don't, right. you know, that's, I think the new people maybe over, overestimate how much like type one fun elk hunting is and underestimate how much type two fun elk hunting is. Yeah. Like, that's Oh, it's going to be sure. awesome. We're going to be in the back country. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's like six days of just being a little uncomfortable the entire time. Yeah. Or, yeah. or really it's, uncomfortable, it, depending on, like, the weather and how things go. Right, exactly. Yeah, I've done some real terrible ones where, like, it rained and snowed for, like, a week straight. Oof. It's just awful. But, yeah, I think just having having realistic expectations. And then the more prepared you are, the better you're going to be off. Yeah. So, like, physically and mentally, like, if you can do some stuff to kind of get your mind right before you go out, I think it helps a lot as well. Yeah. I feel like... I would love if I could get it set up where like a standing antelope camp. Cause you don't really hear of that. You hear of elk camp, you hear of deer camp, but no one really talks about like an antelope camp where it's like, Hey, we're going to pick this over the counter unit. Well, there's hardly any over the counter antelope units anymore, but you know, Hey, we're, we're a group and we're maybe we'll just rotate States, but we're going to pick a spot where it's like always 
lots of game. We're never really going too far towards the trophy end just to be like, so we could bring like basically open invite. Obviously you want to like kind of control like any shady characters getting invited, yeah. but like, yeah, it's like, Hey, there's eight of us dudes that just love hunting and we're all just going to camp in the same spot and then go our own direction and chase antelope. And then like, I feel like that would be such a fun vibe because then you can like, stay up a little later on the bonfires, maybe sleep in a tad bit, you know, more have that camaraderie aspect where when it's like elk hunting, it's like, I'm here to hunt elk. And so it's like, I don't start bonfires in elk camp. Like I go to bed, I get home, I do the, I do camp chores, I get some food and I go to bed. And it's, it's like, I kind of miss out on like having that, that camaraderie. So that's one thing I've thought about trying to like start as like an antelope. Let's start one up, dude. I'll go. I would love to. like a hell of a time. My wife's, my wife is sold on the antelope. She watches Randy Newbrick's antelope hunts, which he, he is like such a great storyteller. But when he's antelope hunting, he's like, you know, he'll talk about like, well, the first part of every successful antelope hunt is getting a bag of donuts and, and then like in a coffee and she loves coffee. And so she's like, that's what I want to do is wake up, get some coffee and some donuts and head out and find some antelope. And it's true. Like it's, he's not sugarcoating anything. Even if the donuts are sugarcoated, like that is antelope hunting. If you want it to be a fun, relaxing type one hunt, that's what it is. And so that's, I think going to be our first Western hunt. I don't, haven't decided. Well, I would love to do a rifle, but she's, she just got a new Hoyt and she's loving, she wants to do do with a bow. And I'm like, well, that's, it's very tricky. It's very hard to antelope hunt with a bow if you don't want to use a ground blind. Yeah. That's, that's what I always tell people. Like, I mean, I, I prefer archer and that's, that's like my go-to weapon of choice. Um, but yeah, shooting out of a blind is super effective. If, if you can do it, if you can sit and wait on a water hole, your chances of shooting antelope are, yeah, are pretty high. And I think she just but wants I, more of the hiking adventure style yeah, hunting. Decent so like, spot, yeah, decent spot in stock. Yeah, I mean, that's I have a Eastern Plains, Colorado archer antelope jag right now. And we've been getting so much rain out here that it's hard to predict. Like, they just have water everywhere. So mm. the water, sitting on water is not super effective. But I've been doing some spot in stock this weekend, and it's – it's a whole different ballgame. They're, they're pretty tricky. If you can't find, you got to get them in. Like what I found, it's like getting them in the right spot. Like yeah, finding them in a spot where there's like some topography, some like some rolling, some cliffs, some areas that you can actually get on close. But a lot of the times they just sit out in the wide open in the middle of like flat flats. So yeah, it's, it's super like find them in that. Yeah. Find them in a good stockable spot is the trick to that. It's a super effective survival strategy. I was one of the podcasts I recorded this morning. We were talking about archery antelope, and I was wondering if, like, do you know what a ghost blind is? Yeah, I've seen I've I've seen them before. Aren't they like completely see through? No, that well, that's a different style blind. That's a new blind where like the material is like one way mesh, so you can see three hundred sixty degrees. Right. No, I'm thinking of the reflective like mirror panels. Oh. So when you set them up, if you set them up at an angle, like. Like, if you're in the middle of, like, grass and you set it up, you're completely gone because everything looks like grass. Now, if you're on, like, the edge right. of a tree and then you set it up, it's like, well, there's not supposed to be a tree over there. Like, you're on a tree line and then there's, you know, the mirror doesn't quite work. But I was wondering if, like, a two-man archery team with, like, the front guy, like, carrying, like, this ghost blind and just walking, mm-hmm. like, kind of from behind. And then the second guy, like, obviously I'm bigger, so I'd walk in front of you, carry the ghost blind, and you're, like you know, knocked in, ready to go, we get there, and then, like, you lean off to the side and draw and, like, shoot around me. Obviously, don't shoot me in the back with your expandable broadhead, but I was wondering if that wouldn't be an effective method to, like, spot stock antelope. I think if you can – I'd totally try it. 
Antelope are one of those things like you really never know unless you try because I've seen people go out with like all sorts of different decoys, cow decoys. They got the ones on their head, the one on their bow. Yeah. I know a lot of people that just like put on a white t-shirt. I've heard that too. I've heard the white flag thing. You like wave it once and they catch it and then you put it down and they'll come invest. There's something about the white that they're very curious about that I've heard is work. So yeah, kind of any of those tricks that you can use to your advantage. Yeah. I'm all game for. Yeah. I will try it. We'll, we'll start an antelope camp and then we'll try it with the, with the ghost panels because they're really cheap. They're only like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks. I might actually have, I might have to go buy one because after this weekend, I'm thinking I need something. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's what I was going to ask is like, so obviously you're in Colorado, not quite resident yet, but next year you'll be a resident. So I'm assuming that makes everything easier, but the over the counter antelope options are really becoming sparse. Um, and I think it's like at this point, especially after the winter, a lot of the antelope countries had, I think it would be like maybe only doe over-the-counter tags available for a little while, and probably not even them because that's the ones they're probably cutting back the most on is the the, yeah. the doe tags. Yeah, I know Colorado. I'm not for sure how many units there are, but there's there's over-the-counter, and it, it's it's a buck tag too, so you can shoot a buck with, with a, it. With archery though. Yeah, archery only. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an, it's yeah, that was thinking the rifle, right? Well, yeah. but bow a an antelope bow camp would be probably a little bit more fun if you, if you think about it. Because if you had like an antelope rifle camp, it's like all right, everyone shows up to camp, everyone takes out the next day, <laughs> and then yeah, unless unless someone's really picky. But I mean, a lot of times when when you get on an antelope, it's I wouldn't want to be the antelope. Over. Yeah, no, <laughs> rifle and antelope. It's always game over usually. Pretty yeah. Quick. And an antelope archery camp would be a good like. All right, we're here for a week, and we're going to be here for yeah. a week, and not. We everyone. will definitely be here the whole time. Yeah. That would be fun, and then all the stories. Like, yeah, I can't believe what Chris did. He was, you know, he just ran right at it with this mirror in front of him. <laughs> Works like a charm. Yeah. Imagine you if you invented yards. like the next new thing on like all of a sudden turning archery antelope into like near the same success rates as rifle antelope. Yeah. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, then you'd have to come out with the big antelope guy. Next year. Next year I'll have a big antelope guy t shirt come out. Are there any more t shirts coming this year? Yeah, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna do like white tail and mule deer. Okay. You said you're you're from Iowa, so do you still yep. have that big white tail itch to sit in a tree stand over a food plot? Oh yeah. So I actually <laughs> drew my I actually drew my Iowa tag this year, so I'll be I'll be out there this fall. Do you still have connections and land opportunities back home, or do you have to do yeah, like yeah. public? Uh, my family, we have some property. It's like it's not very big. It's probably like twelve acres, but it's surrounded by like three hundred acres oh. of of other timber, and it's just like one of those pinch points where it works every single year, like end of October to the first ten days of November. Like your chances of a big buck coming through there one of those days are pretty good. So I'm going to do that. And then I have some other people around that area that I have permission to hunt from. So, yeah, well, that's good. It's been like, so I I think the last time I white tail hunted and I was like seven years ago when I was still living there. And then for a little while, I didn't really care for like, all right, I'm done white tail hunting. And then it's been like just the last couple of years. I've really been like, God, I kind of miss sitting in a tree like the beginning of November with bucks rutting and running around everywhere. 
Yeah, it's such a different. I don't know. I grew up in Minnesota. I've whitetail hunted my whole life. I don't think I could give it up. I do. I do really enjoy a western whitetail hunt where it's more spot and stock glassing, running ridges, and I do like that the openness of it. But man, I could mm-hmm. never give up. For me, it's like we've always had land, and so like managing land. I just bought a tractor. My dad's always had a little tractor doing food plots, and yeah, it's and fun. Then, and it's a it's yeah. a whole year like setting up trail cameras. Oh, yeah. shooting lanes, hanging tree stands. And then you start seeing, like, this time of year, you start seeing all that effort pay off. There's deer right. using your food plots. And, yeah, I, I just love it. I could never. And something about a big whitetail, I, I don't know, big everything. Oh, it's yeah. not like I'm going to turn down a big anything. I'm a big everything yeah. guy. You got to make that shirt for me. Yeah, um, big everything. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when they get that big, gnarly, like, heavy, oh, yeah. brutus-looking um, rack, that, oh, man, I just get addicted. That's why yeah, as you can actually, see all the shed antlers behind me. I love. I, I know. Then love you get antlers. springtime. You start picking up sheds. It's yeah. I was just in um, well south of you, but we went to we met up with a buddy in Durango and went shed hunting in New Mexico this spring and found oh, some elk and mule deer sheds. Yeah. Heck yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's a full life on the when when you own property like that in the whitetail world, that is a three hundred sixty five degree or day yeah. thing. But to be fair, so could mountain hunting like you could be scouting in the spring and working out and shooting all summer long and getting your spots i mean a lot of people do do that i mean yeah yeah no it's both of them have they're like the same but different like they both to be good at both like if you really want to be successful at both like it takes a lot of preparation and time the more time and preparation you put in usually the luckier you seem to get yeah do you think what do you think makes like a better western hunter over time like going because there's two things that you could do you could go back to the same spot every year and it's like we live or die by the spot but we know it or you could bounce around every year and it's like we never have the same spots so now we got to get good at other things like being able to quickly analyze a mountain or quickly find feed or quickly find fresh shine like if you if which one do you think results in like a better like i don't know success rate over time uh, I'd probably say going to the same spot. Yeah. Just that probably. being able to really dial in a spot. Yeah. If you can go to the same spot and if, if it has like the trophy potential you're looking for and like has the animals that you're looking for, like the more you go to that same spot over and over again, the more you're going to learn it, the better you're going to be off. But if you are like, since working for Gohan, most of the hunts that I've gone on, right. I've been, I've never been to this. I've never been to this place before in my life. Like I'm stepping foot into this mm. place for the first time. Yeah. Which it's usually, it takes you like the first three or four days to really figure it out. So like in those types of situations, I like to just have a longer hunt. Like if I can have a 10 to 12 day hunt and like somewhere I've never been before. Yeah. Cause those first couple of days are just kind of a crap shoot. Like <laughs> you're learning, you're learning roads or like the spot you thought you could get to, you can't get to, or there's people everywhere there's no elk or there's no deer. So it's like you're doing a lot in those first couple of days to kind of like hone in to where then you, you actually like hunting for seven, but yeah. Yeah. I, I like, if I can find a spot that I can like consistently go to every single year then it's like a good spot, I would, I'd prefer that for sure. I would agree. Um, unfortunate thing man like as a non-resident, we don't like, we have some favorite spots, our favorite favorites in Wyoming um, we've never been to the same spot in Colorado twice. We've been to the same spot in Montana twice in two different occasions. 
and we did pretty good there. But it's like usually we don't like we'd love to hunt the same spot twice, but it's so hard with the tags thing to get a tag every year, and that's like where we are now. Like I'm developing like a multi-year elk strategy to mm-hmm. because we want to elk on every year, and this is the first year we've had to resort to Colorado as a full team. Last year, half our team had to go to Colorado because um, the party size thing in Montana, we had to split the app. And right. we actually got drawn. Well, we were really bummed about it. So we applied, I don't know, four or five days ahead of the deadline. And then the next day, Go Hunt released the article, the strategy article for the Montana zero point strategy. And that's what we did. And we're yeah. like, oh, no, now everyone's going to do the zero point thing, and now we're not going to get drawn. Well, it turns out we did get drawn, and they did not with the, a greater than zero average. Right. And so yeah. it was just the way it worked out. But but now we had to go to Colorado. And it's you really need an over-the-counter state in your rotation now to hunt elk every year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's definitely getting tougher coming out west and – like guaranteeing yourself a tag in the same area in the same spot every single year. But if you, if you can, and like you can go to the same spot, but at the same time, I always, I always hear people like, there's nothing here anymore. Then you also have to be like adaptable. Like you right. don't want, if well, you're going somewhere that's not meeting like your needs and what you're looking for and what you want to do on a hunt, then like, it's probably time to find a new spot. Cause yeah. I think some people get like stuck in like, I'm going to this same spot for the next 10 years which there's going to be a point in time where. Yeah. It's just not worth it. I mean, that's like the, that's like the, the swan song or whatever you would call it of Southeast Montana. Like there's people that would go for 30 years and it was the best mule deer hunting for the average person. Like there's big ones, there's small ones, they're all over the place. And then lately, like the last 10 years, I would say it's really been on the decline. And then, you know, the last three years really topped her off with the drought and the pressure and all of a sudden, it's yeah. like those people that have been doing their deer camp there for, you know, forever are probably like, yeah, we're not going there anymore. Like, we got to find something else because it's just not worth our time. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's definitely something to always keep in consideration, especially like you're saying, like, some effects that, like, we can't even control, like nature, Mother Nature yeah. and some of those areas where there's a lot of die off from winter kill. Like, even though you've been going there for the last 20 years, like, and if you are going to do it, just have real have realistic expectations of what this hunt might be because right. it's probably not going to be the same as it was when you were hunting it before when it was in its prime. Yeah, and that's the that was what I was getting at with the other option of like moving every year that causes you to be adaptable and it causes you to build other skills and you're relying maybe more so on skills than experience. And at the end of the year, like I kind of agree with you, I'd give the hat to the person that's hunting a unit that like stays good or stays equal anyway, but they hunt it every year for 10 years versus the person that hunts 10 different spots in 10 years. But I think at the end of the day, like just hunting every year is going to make you far better than waiting for that once in a lifetime or that 10 year tag and then going for the first time. And now you're really starting from zero. Yeah. You, you have to at least get out there because that's the only way you're ever going to learn anything. The more time spent out there, the more you're going to learn and the better off off yeah. you're going to be if you don't if you're not spending time out there you're not gonna you're not gonna figure it out it would be, like it, it took it took me a while to just like gear alone by itself like what you should take on a backcountry hunt oh yeah like the first time you do it you're like oh my god what the hell <laughs> like now now i can like do it automatically like i have it in my head of like this stuff that i mean i can like pack my bag in an hour first well, like it yeah. took me forever and just learning 
what gear worked, what gear didn't work, like what I shouldn't bring, what I should bring. And that, that all comes from experience. The only way you can learn that is if you go out and experience it. Yeah. And one of the things that I've thought about doing with this podcast, since it, the, like it is targeted towards people that are like maybe more so from the Midwest and looking to get out West is come out with like pack lists. Cause I live and die by a pack list. Like I got all kinds of them from all the years, but like, here's what I bring or here's what you should bring. And I'll probably tailor it out in a way. So that instead of saying like, bring a, the sick and the sick of Kelvin hoodie, I'll just say like, bring up like lightweight, puffy insulator, mid layer. Right. And then yeah. I'd maybe just link it to like the Sitka one and, you know, set up an yeah. affiliate link. But, but that way it gives people an idea, like you can do anything, but it's really helpful to have like, here's what I use. Like I use this all the time. And then that gives people a starting spot. Cause like if you can shave a couple of years off of some of these learning curves, it just gets you that much closer to success. Um, and then like the backpacking thing, like here's what you need to think about. For example, yeah. like, the multi-tools, like my Leatherman or a Gerber multi-tool, like super valuable, but my Leatherman weighs like a pound. Yeah, they're heavy. Like I got the full, it's like, do I really want to bring this thing or should I just bring like a pocket knife? I don't bring a, I don't bring a Leatherman. No. I think I, I only bring, I think the only tools that I bring are, so like most of my hunts are like archery hunts. So I'll just have like the, this, the like specific Allen wrenches that I need for like if something broke or if something needs to be tightened. Yeah, that's a big one. And I know like the Gerber has the center drive, which is like meant to have bits and then it's got the pliers and the everything else. But that's what's like, I already have a hunting and I had a, um, John Barklow on the podcast talking about like backcountry mission planning, which is his outdoor, um, mm-hmm. outdoor class series, which is owned like Gohan's a major like, yeah. organizer. Of that, yeah. Right? We, yeah, we own, outdoor class yeah it's just like a different and partner with like randy and Corey and all the other yeah yeah so he's that's his class and he's talking like like a lot of like you don't just because your knife's in your kill kit doesn't mean that can't be your knife for your other thing too like you you don't need to bring two knives like he's thinking through some of that and it's like well yeah so it's like i don't need the leatherman for the knife do i need the leatherman for the pliers do i need it for the saw like what would i need it for it just seems like you should have a multi-tool but then when you get to thinking like what do i need a multi what do i really need a multi-tool for out there yeah there's there's so the, the more gear that you can find that have like multi-use yeah that you can get them to do like multiple things i mean it's just gonna end up saving you weight because you don't have to bring something extra if this thing can do the job of three other things that you would have brought in, instead yeah like trekking poles could be your tent poles. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that's like a system I run as I have, I, I, I have bring trekking poles with me anyways. And then my tent, I use them for my tent to set up my, I have like a stone glacier, uh, ULT tarp system. Mm. So it's just two trekking poles to pitch it. So do you do so a just, base or do you sleep on the ground? I do a base. Okay. Yeah. I do a, I do a liner on the inside just, just because of like, wet and bugs and it's it's not too much heavier i wouldn't i would do it for snakes that's the one <laughs> thing like i can handle a couple bugs i can handle being a little wet and uncomfortable what i can't handle is waking up with a snake near me just right on top of you yeah well, that would be terrible i slept out in north dakota in the badlands and they have rattlesnakes out there i don't think they're super common but they have them and i just put my cot out on the side of the road and slept and I woke up in the morning and I was terrified because I forgot that there's rattlesnakes. I'm like, what if a snake found me in the middle of the night and then crawled in to stay warm? 
And so I'm like yeah. trying not to move, but trying to like feel everything like in my bag and yeah. oh man. And then I'm like, no more. So then I would just set up my cot in the bed of my pickup, like with the tailgate down and sleep in the bed of my pickup. And I was like, at least I'm like five feet off the ground now. No, I'm with you too. I absolutely hate snakes. Not a fan. I can't imagine like spot and stocking a mule deer or an antelope and then crawling into a rattlesnake. Yeah, last year we had, we're actually out in Colorado. I was with Brady and Trail where archery hunt antelope. And we're like staying, this buddy had like a barn, okay. just like in the middle of nowhere, Eastern Colorado. And we we're staying like in this barn. And we we're sitting in there one night and I looked down. This rattlesnake is right next to Brady's foot. I bet you like an inch, just like ready to go. I'm like, Brady. Oh, and he my jumps out. And, yeah. Huge rattlesnake, too. Oh, my God. Did the rattlesnake survive? Nope. We killed it. <laughs> I want a rattlesnake hat band in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I would, um, I would, I would, that would be sweet. I would use, a, I would use it because I do have like a bunch of cowboy hats, too. I'm a, more of a rhinestone cowboy. I don't own any horses. I have horse stables now, but I don't have any horses. So, <laughs> but I can swing dance. So I feel like if I wear right. it, I can prove that I am allowed you to can wear back it. it up a little bit. I don't wear big things. ones. Like I don't, I, I think it was Steve Ranella said, you should never wear a hat that has more personality than you. That and, makes sense. And so I don't wear like a big old feather or anything coming <laughs> out of it. It's just a normal hat. Just a simple, now you just, you add a rattlesnake to it. It'll be perfect. Yeah, keep the rattle too, and put it on there. So it, as you move, it kind of <laughs> shakes. Yeah, I don't necessarily know. I mean, I'd figure it out. I'm an engineer, but if I saw a snake, I'd be like, okay, what am I using to get this snake? Because I don't want to like get too close. I know a lot of people probably just grab them, but I'm not that guy. <laughs> no, I think we use like a shovel or something. Okay. Like the yeah. well, I use them at the farm, but I, I'm you know I'm thinking through. I probably don't have a shovel on my archery antelope hunt. Nope. <laughs> you have to you have to shoot it with your bow. Yeah, and then it's like, man, that's that's an expensive that's broadhead because I'm <laughs> shooting the grizzly sticks um, for elk. Obviously, I probably wouldn't shoot that for antelope, but yeah, it's starting to be an expensive snake, and you got to hit yeah, it, it the first time. Yeah, that that could be real pricey real quick. Yeah, we'll see. I might rethink this whole rattlesnake hat band. Depends on how big the snake is, too. I don't know. Yeah, you're gonna have to get a big one. Well, yeah, because I have a big head. It, you <laughs> you never know, like you can never size someone on a podcast, but yeah, I have a giant head, so I'm gonna need a big rattlesnake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Better start rattlesnake hunting now. I have a buddy from high school that moved out to South Dakota, and he's he does archery antelope every year, and he said he's had a few times where he was, you know, ditched the ground blind. I think they lost their private land access, so they kind of forced him into spot and stock. And he was crawling up to an antelope, and he heard a rattlesnake, and he had no idea where it was. And he just stood up and walked away. He's like, no antelope in the world is worth this. <laughs> no. Yeah, there's nothing worse when you hear that, and you're like, oh, God. Well, especially where crawling. is this? Yeah, you don't know if you've already passed it. Like, you look down, right. it's not on the hands. Okay. Yeah, I would. Run. Run. Well, how bad? I, that's, I guess, what I, I want to talk to someone that's been bit by one. I want to know, like, how bad is it really? I don't think you. I don't think you like it. I I don't think it's no. good. I don't think he's gonna be like, oh, it's not that bad. I want to know, like, am I gonna die? I don't think you'll die. I don't think I've heard of too many people dying right. from a rattlesnake. Because I think if you get to the doctor somewhere in time, like, yeah, yeah, you gotta get the venom good. and stuff. It probably depends a big part on like where you got hit too. Right. I can just see like getting hit in the face though if you're like 
crawling for an antelope, and that would be terrible. <laughs> Just can't see. Your face is completely swollen. Oh, gosh. And then I bet Wandering that gets into around. your airway. Like, if your airway starts swelling up, then that's not good. And then you won't be able to drive anywhere to the hospital because you can't see. Well, yeah. Well, that would be bad. I mean, you heard about the story of the, I think it was Kyle or Todd or the guy that got mauled by a grizzly bear twice in the same oh, yeah. day. He drove himself yeah. to the hospital. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it's like. Because beast. Oh, yeah. He is a beast if he survived two run-ins with a sow, a sow with cubs. But, yeah, the grizzly, the snake thing, yeah, if your face swells up, I'd be like, hey, Chris, cut the, you know, cut my water bladder and shove this tube down my throat so I can still yeah. breathe. Right. <laughs> oh god that would be an ugly uh, ugly hunt yes yes it would uh, but awesome but, well it sounds like it sounds like you've been after the antelope and you got elk are you doing in-state mule deer as well this fall or what's the whole fall stack up look like for you uh my brother he he drew a third season colorado tag so i'll go hunt with him on that that's like the week before thanksgiving but yeah from october to mid-november i'm going to be focusing on that on that iowa whitetail hunt okay and then i actually just picked up a reissue tag off colorado for like an eastern plains whitetail hunt Ooh, that would be fun i bet there's some sneaky big whitetails out in eastern colorado there that's what i've heard it can be kind of tricky and it's it's not a lot of public land so if you're like willing to knock on some doors and right you know and i've heard people are pretty nice out there like they'll let you hunt Especially for whitetail, because yeah. I think, yeah. like, you get into some of these species, like, if you're asking to shoot bull elk, they're probably like, eh, no. <laughs> right. But, yeah, maybe a whitetail, they're like, I don't really care. And it's going to help a lot that you have a Colorado plate versus yeah. any other state. Yeah, for sure. And, and it, the, the tag that I got is actually, it's good for all the seasons of whitetail. So, I like that. It gives me a lot of different options. Like, if I have some free time, I can go out there. It's basically from... October to December, I can hunt it. So I would love that, like late November, where they're chasing, and then you're, yeah. you're like you're seeing them out everywhere. That I yeah. love. That's what I love about Western whitetails when they're seeking and chasing. You can see them everywhere because there's nowhere to hide. Like they're not seeking and chasing right. in a in a cattail swamp like they are up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you and you get to use big old rifles. So oh my gosh, yes, yeah, three hundred wind mag with a. Yep. I have a big, like a half chassis. It's not a full chassis rifle, but long barrel, long scope, bipod. And yeah, I would love to do a deer hunt again with that. It's been a, it's been a minute because I didn't rifle hunt anything last year. We're in shotgun zone here in Minnesota for deer. So I don't use my rifle most years unless I draw something out West. Yeah. That's, that's what I grew up with too in Iowa. That's probably why I'm such a big archery guy. Cause there wasn't really your best options to shoot a big buck was with a bow. So and the season, the way the seasons work yeah. out, yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's way better than the shotgun stuff, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically that's basically my hunt plans for this fall. I got a little whitetail tag. I told you, I'm back on the whitetail game. Back in the whitetail game, yeah. You'll swing. It's a momentum thing. Yeah. <laughs> shoot a bu- shoot a bunch of nice elk. Shoot a caribou, and then you like just kind of start over <laughs> at right. the beginning again and go. All right, I'm gonna work my way through the list again. I gotta go through Whitetail and just reboot it all up again. Yeah, reboot it all up. Does so? Um, are you married now? You're just getting engaged. Yeah, I just got engaged. Yeah. Congrats, yeah, Does my fiance Abby. Just, I think that was over the Fourth of July. I popped the question. Congrats! I just got married, and my wife's name is Abby too. But what? No kidding. We got the Abbeys, both yeah. of us. Is she a pediatric pharmacist? Nope. Oh, 
I was just going to be curious right. if it was the same person. <laughs> yeah. They both PX pharmacists. So does your Abby go with you on any of these adventures? Um, She just got her hunter safety, what was it, last year? Okay. She just finished up her hunter safety. She's she's definitely super curious in hunting. Like, she wants to go hunting for sure. Yeah. But yeah, she's kind of, she's like in the beginning stages of like, she kind of wants to see, you know, how things are done and so maybe like hunts. tag along with you for a couple, yeah. see how it, see how it goes. Right. Maybe ideal candidate for yeah. an uh, antelope camp. Yeah, and she like, which I think is cool is like she said she like she when she does actually go on like she wants to be fully prepared. Like she wants to whether it's archery or rifle, like she wants to have a lot of practice and like mm. know exactly what she's doing. Like yeah, she doesn't just want to go out there and wing it. Like she wants to go out and be like fully prepared to you know have a successful hunt, which. I think that's pretty cool to, because I know some people just like, just give me something. Let me go out there and try. And I'm like, I don't know. It could be, yeah, could be tricky, but. Well, my wife's the same way. She wants to be dialed and like in, and it's funny. And I, it's not funny. I love it, but it's funny to think about like when I started hunting, man, everything was like a, a, a very loosely assembled things of, you know I mean? It was, it was kind of a disaster and I was winging yeah, everything. Not know, yeah. Not knowing. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I'm just going to sit on this tree branch and you know, I haven't sighted my bow in past you, know, whatever, 15 yard, you know, I was 12 years old and had no idea what to do. Didn't know how to, never seen someone stop a deer, never, you know, all these things where it's like, I was just winging it every minute of the day and that's right. how I got into it. And now it's yeah. kind of just, interesting to see like someone when they take on take it on as an adult it's like no 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 i want to be like dialed like i want to be professional before i start right yeah yeah they're they're just smarter than us i guess well for sure (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) definitely true there but no that's exciting i'm excited to see how your whitetail hunt in iowa goes because i've i'm right next right north of you and i'll probably be in iowa actually in that time Where, where are you at in minnesota we just bought a farm north of the Twin Cities, like 30 to 40 minutes. And then okay. I actually work for a big green tractor company out of Iowa. So I'm in Waterloo and Des Moines quite a bit. I'll be in Des Moines in October, actually. Yeah, so I October. just live, like where I hunt and live, like where I grew up is 35 minutes north of Des Moines. Oh, yeah, I drive right through Des Moines. Yeah, it's right between Ames and Des Moines is where Yeah, Yeah, where real I grew close. Up. Real close. Yeah, I'll be there middle of October. Probably before your hunt, though. More like October 10th. Have you pull some trail camera pictures for me? Hey, I would, I love, to... I would love to do that for you. I'd, <laughs> I'd, like, swap them out and then send them to you. That'd be super cool. I need to get the cell. Have you had any? Have you ever used the cell camera ones? Oh, yes. I love them. Uh, our family is pretty much hook, line, and sinker drank the Kool-Aid. Um, and I've been talking to Reveal Cam, Tacticam Reveals. And we're seeing if it works out to do some type of a partnership with the podcast. Because this this podcast is, I mean, super blessed to have the opportunity to lead it. Because it's like 250,000, 300,000 downloads a year. So it's like getting, like, we could do right. some cool stuff together. And um, But yeah, the, the reveals that we've been using, oh my gosh, like setup. I was trying to take like a photo shoot. Like we did a pretty cool product photo shoot with them. And so my wife was running the camera. And I was trying to like get these all these like process like storytelling of setting up the camera with the with the you know setting up the trail cam with the big camera taking these photos, and it like set up so fast like it's like oh it's done, like it literally I accidentally scanned the QR code with my phone inside the like the camera plate and that's all it is it's like boom done, 
And I'm like, oh, well, I guess we didn't get any photos of that part. And so then it was set up. And, yeah, now I get them every day. I got one behind the farm here, and I got uh, two at the family properties a couple hours away. And then my brother and his family have, like, five total. So we got, like, eight or nine of them. And it's fun because you can get, like, you can share your camera. So if someone else, like your dad or your brother or just a buddy that hunts the same property has a couple, like, obviously, you don't want to be paying for them. But you can share back and forth. So then you can still see the pictures from all of the cameras on the property, not just, like, the one you have. If you share it with somebody else. It's kind of like sharing a pin with Go Hunt. Like, if you share a pin Mm -hmm. with somebody, then they can see the pin, too. Yeah. yeah, I need to get some because, like I'm saying, I, I live in Colorado. And I'll be to have them like just sent out to me. Get them um, with, they're they're cheaper than they've ever been to. Like they're hundred and some bucks, and um and then you can get get the solar panels with them. So then like when you set it up, like you could literally go, um, Christmas, Easter. I don't know whenever you go back to visit your right. family, you could set it up and it's done for the entire season. Like you don't have to Just, touch it again. It's we got all of ours with solar panels, and my brother's had one running with a solar panel for a year and a half now. That is crazy. Yeah, we don't take videos with them, so the camera, the cards right. last forever. But yeah, the solar panels just keep them topped off. Like I've put mine out f- three or four months ago, and they're still at a hundred percent battery because they they all have panels and good sunlight. So it, it really depends on sunlight. I think it would be interesting for people in the mountains too, if you can like find places where there's right. good reception, just to know like yeah. are the elk using this valley or that valley. Yeah, if there's some good service, yeah, that's yeah. the tricky part about that. Yeah, that, I, that's the hard. You'd have to be up high, I bet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Look, what What would you say those cameras are called? Tacticam reveals. So like a Tacticam reveals. There's a couple different ones. I think for what you're doing, I just picked the cheapest one, which I think is the the reveal 2.0 or the X pro that you can look them up. Um, but yeah, you can do so like I have mindset right now to take like two or three pictures and a video. And if the pictures are good, then I can request the video and it'll send me the video of it. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. That is. Yeah. It's super fast. Te- technology has come a long way, huh? I mean, it's on my, like here it opens up my app on my phone. And so like, Right there are all the pictures right. of like it'll it'll send it to me. So those are all my brother's cameras. Um, and then I just switch back to my home feed, and like this this one right here was this morning when I woke up. There's a deer out. In just the back. some deer running around. Yeah, yeah. No, they're sweet. Um, how excited do you get when you get pictures coming in? You're like, all right, is this a big one? You know how when you're like in middle school and you got a text message from a girl and your heart rate just yeah. went up every time the notification comes, I feel the same way. And I don't even know what the picture is yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a ball. I, I got to get some of these. Yeah. It, it gets a little, like if you get a lot of them and you're getting pictures all day long, it would literally distract you from being productive at work. So I set mine, most of my cameras just update once a day at 6am, which helps me get there out of go. bed on time. Right. So you just wake up, you're like, all right, I got a couple pictures, drink some coffee, look through. Well, there's some, I know of some podcasters that have deals with other brands and they have like 50 of them. And he's like in the hunting season, like I will actually wake up multiple times in the middle of the night and check my cameras and then go back to sleep. Oh my. Yeah. So I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you got reception for like in the elk woods and you were like getting pictures of 350 inch bulls on your show. Yeah. I'd be checking them all the time too. I feel like it'd start to really mess with my head too. I'd be like, oh, I was going to go to this spot. Now I'm going to go to this spot. 
Well, the nice thing about your situation is it's going to tell you what's not only out there, but what the, like, the recent data has been. So when you land, you don't have to waste time pulling cameras and putting pressure right. on your spot. You can just hunt. Yeah. And that that's what I love about it is it, because I'm two hours away, which seems pretty close, especially probably you in the mountains because everything's two hours away in the mountains. Mm-hmm. But there's a long ways to just go pull your cards and come home. Yeah, that is. I mean, four hours total driving, yeah, just right. pulling a car that takes 15 minutes maybe. Oh, yeah, less than that. I mean, I set all my cameras up at our farms so I can get most of them drive. out of the, the window of my pickup. Yeah. Yeah, drive right to them. I do. Yeah, just to reduce the scent mostly. Yeah. Especially with the no, Ranger. With the Ranger, I can drive right to, to edit all of them, and I pull the camera right out the window so I'm not walking at all. But, yeah, that right. would be huge for you just, like, knowing where you stand. When you land, uh-huh. when you get home and start hunting, so you can hit the ground right. running. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to try to get back here in the next couple of weeks just to get some things set up. So I might have to get a couple of those cameras so I can. One with twelve acres. Out. I mean, yeah, one or two would probably be plenty. Right. Yeah, that's all I need. Yeah, put just them on to a see scrape. Kind of walking through. Yep. Put a hang a hang a rope in front of them. Put them on a scrape and a scrape, and you'd be, you'd be Moment. like. You'd be climbing elevation on your elk hunt, trying to get reception so you can yeah. check your cards. <laughs> what's what's going on right now? Yeah, yeah. Instead of calling home, you're trying to get your cell cam app to yeah. to load. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to give it to like my fiance so that I can in reach her from my Garmin. And be like, hey, what do we got for pictures on there today? Yeah, you should talk to Garmin. And be like, hey, I need picture texting on my in reach now so yeah. I can get trail cam pictures. We 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 got to figure this out, Garmin. Come I think on. the rhinos had pictures, don't they? Do they? But I'm I for sure. I don't know for sure either, but I know the rhinos have like an LCD screen, but they don't have. I don't think they had the same capabilities as the in reach did for like universal satellite texting. Right. I don't remember. Because yeah, I know like Zolio and InReach are just all messaging. Yeah. Honestly. I didn't get how, get how stupid I was. I didn't know that you could Bluetooth your phone to your InReach so you could text off your phone. So I'm sitting there scrolling through the letters to type out my messages on yeah. my InReach. <laughs> that sounds awful. Yeah, that would be tough. Yeah, and it's like over, up, 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 up. And it's not right. like T9 texting. It's literally scrolling right. through the entire alphabet, right. which I was like, I got nothing better to do because I'm by myself on this hunt. And it's, you know, the weird part when you go on a solo hunt is it like on a rifle hunt, it gets dark at like 5 and you don't really go to right. bed till yeah. 9. So you got four hours sitting and looking at the wall of your tent. Yeah, you got plenty of time to send out messages. Yeah. It probably took you four hours to send one message. Well, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. And then you get like a two word response back because whoever you were texting back home is like busy with their normal life. You're like, great, I'm glad right. I spent two hours on that message. <laughs> Going through the, yeah, those garments are super nice. Oh yeah, they're a must. Well, that's another thing. Backpack hunt. Add that to the list if you're new to backpacking. Like, yeah. I would not re- recommend anyone going out, especially a newbie, without a some type of yeah. satellite communication. Yeah, so. that's for sure. Always got to have one of those. So, but yeah. But awesome, and um, I just want to say thanks, man, for finding the time. I know I had to bounce around with you on the calendar. I had some meetings pop up today, but I've had a blast talking to you about the fall. Heck yeah, man. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me on. Hopefully we got some some good stories to share after this fall. Oh, heck yeah. We'll have to do a follow-up, um, and in the meantime, tell people where they can get their very own Big Elk Guy shirt. So places you can find it, you can go to my Instagram, Neville 23 That's just my personal Instagram and I have a link there, but the, the website name is 
bigmerchguy.com. Pretty simple. That's kind of like my, my quote that I always do for all my Instagram posts because I got sick of writing captions. So yeah, the website's bigmerchguy.com if you want to find these shirts. Or if you just type in like Big Elk Guy shirt, it'll probably pop up too. Perfect. Go check out all the stories and then go, go click on the Big Merch Guy link and we'll put a link in the show notes as well for anyone that wants to be a Big Elk Guy like Chris. And I'm gonna, I have to have some whitetail ones coming now that I'm going to be, I got two whitetail hunts this year. Always a mule deer fan, so those how, are going to be the next two coming down the line. How cool would it be if you shot a big whitetail and you could use that for the artwork, like right. the base of the artwork? That would be sweet. Yeah. I, I like would, that. that well, the question is, do I do big whitetail guy or do I do big deer guy? Well, you could do, maybe you could do like A-B testing and do both, but then like, You'd be the only if you did like a big doe. You'd be the only one in the industry that's got like a big doe on a t-shirt. Like I'm a big, big doe guy. guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, hey, I'm a big doe guy. I love shooting I, does. That's right. I'm with you. I shoot a lot of them, but I like jerky, and it's you don't get a lot yeah. of meat off a of deer. So if you want like 25 pounds of jerky and 25 pounds of sticks and 25 whatever, it's like you, you gotta shoot a lot, lot of does. does. Yeah, me that's and my right. wife can shoot 12 deer this year legally Damn. in Minnesota. So yeah, we won't. That's, that's, that's a lot. Of jerky that's and a lot. We don't yeah. have that much time, but but yeah, yeah. big deer. I don't know. We'll we'll put up because because whitetail gets a little long. Yeah, same with like big. It's same with like big mule deer guy it gets a little long. You could be a I big could just do it. Big buck guy. Big, big buck guy. Yeah. That works. Big deer guy. Big rack guy. Then, big rack. You take that any way you want. I'm just yeah. I'm gonna let you be creative with that one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, big That's deer funny. guy. I'd say big big deer guy could be cool, and then just like a monster doe, <laughs> <laughs> just a huge doe. Yeah, big old long nose. Be, yeah, that would be hilarious. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here, Chris, and thank you for listening, folks.